0: If you would please turn in your Bible to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter seven. We're going to speak about Emmanuel today. And we're going to speak about it in a, in a way that is uh, a line upon line progression beyond what God has shown us to, the, to this point. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. That's the wonderful thing about the word of the Lord. One of the wonderful things is that it is alive. <clears throat> And um, God speaks to us through his word. No matter how much we've learned, no matter how many ways we have analyzed specific passages of scripture. One of the miracles of the word of God is that even through those things that we think we understand. And there's possibly no further thing that we could see um, from a specific perspective. a verse, God opens up a new understanding and and in his spirit breathes through that. And so I'm very grateful for the living word and I know you are as well. So let's read uh, this passage. <clears throat> We're selecting just a few verses, but we'll expand upon this uh, quite a bit more. Uh, Isaiah 7, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice just kind of got excited there. Verse 10, Moreover, the Lord spoke again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not sha'al, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear you now, O house of David. is, Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And shall call his name Emmanuel. Amen. Now we know that Matthew in Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-three, saw fit to attach this prophecy to the end of the discussion regarding when the angel appeared to Joseph in the dream to remind. Uh, the angel was speaking to Joseph, of course, saying, what is happening in Mary is of the Holy Ghost, and don't, don't be afraid to, to walk with that. And um, when, when that dream visitation ended, then Matthew added this promise. Now, why would Matthew do that? First of all, because Matthew was meticulous. If you don't believe that, read the genealogy that he includes at the beginning of his gospel. And secondly, Matthew was writing an account of what he experienced in his walk with Jesus. And and I am positive that the Lord was sharing with those men, uh, look, what happened with me is a fulfillment of what Isaiah spoke. Now, I want to tell you that, you would think, why would that be necessary? I mean, and but I have to tell you that as you study about commentary and uh, historical viewpoints from the from the centuries, even in the time um, after when Isaiah said this, there are so many attempts to discredit what that promise in Isaiah seven really means. In fact, it was so prevalent in the Middle Ages that, and I'm not glorifying the Pope, but even the Pope in the 1700s said "It it is absolutely forbidden for anyone to suggest that the prophecy of Isaiah is not applicable to the Virgin Mary. And, and it, it's just amazing. I was even looking at some modern day commentaries, you know, a couple of the ones that I was able to get when Olive Tree put them on on sale a really good sale, and I only, I only get these just so that I can do what I'm doing this morning, uh, to to see what the other the cool kids in theology are saying. Um, not that we would emulate them, but I just want to be aware of what's out there. And a couple of them, one of them was called the Teacher's Commentary, and they went to great pains to try to say that uh, that prophecy that we just read in Isaiah regarding a virgin and regarding um, and regarding Emmanuel uh, was, ful- was fulfilled in some way through Isaiah's second son and it really it didn't really mean a virgin uh, it just meant a young woman. That's one of the what's one of the great uh, enemy heresies that he tries to push But the point, though, is that if you look very clearly at what was said here, it's not necessarily a virgin. It is the virgin. It is very specific. And um, the the miracle of the thing is that, um, of course, with Jesus, that is the miracle of all miracles. But the miracle of Emmanuel is always going to be that God As we're communing with Him, will do something that is impossible. He He will do something that happens in the course of everyday life. You know, people have been having children for thousands and thousands of years, and um, but for someone to uh, a woman to bear a child when there has been no no normal procreative activity and and it's just amazing and the theme of Emmanuel is that God will work a work a miracle with his people who are communing with him in his heart and it will it will be when you look upon it absolutely impossible and undoubtedly impossible but God will do it anyway now Here's here's what I'm seeing in this passage in Isaiah. And, And I state very clearly that the ultimate measure in the new covenant of us being able to partner with Emmanuel is the birth of Jesus. This was a prophecy that undeniably spoke of the virgin birth. However, the concept of Emmanuel is spelled out throughout the seventh chapter of Isaiah and through the next few chapters and the concept of Emmanuel is what we want to talk about today. Now, the first thing I want to say is that when we say Emmanuel, we say it's Elohim with us. And that's true. That is absolutely true. We've talked about who Elohim is in in God, that heart of God, that, that commune with the depth of who he is, and that is that is the basis upon everything we build. It's it yes we we appreciate God in all the other dimensions of how He appears to us and how His names uh, relate to the way He works with us. But at the heart of it all is Elohim. Without Elohim, without that commune with God in the deepest of levels, without that knowing the heart of God and experiencing His love, none of the other things can really, can really occur. You, you cannot really partner with Yahweh, Jehovah, the plan of God, if you're not rooted and founded and directed by Elohim. You cannot move in, in a measure of... of uh, and I could just go through the names. Um, if any of the other names, unless you have that root of Elohim, so, the, at the heart of Emmanuel is El or Elum, Elohim. But what we don't often focus about is, is what the Emmanuel is. It, it's, it's not just, oh, Elohim is here or Elohim has come. Look, he's right in the center of us. It is a combinative, it is a partnership. With us means within us, with us means among us. With us means between us, and so Elohim comes to work with a people, to work with those that would be um, would would be willing to know Him in His heart, and and it is it is yes, Elohim is the root, but we have to be with Him. We it, it's it's not so much him with us which is an amazing providential gift beyond all gifts but it's us with him it you know a lot of people can talk about God being with us but are they really with him that's the big question and the onus of Emmanuel is that yes Elohim is there but we are with him and we are invested in him and we are absorbed by His presence, and we're representing what He wants. And so, it's 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 very interesting to me that Isaiah, who is at the top of the list for me, Isaiah, is presenting this concept of Emmanuel, and it is yes, the prophecy that one off in seven fourteen, of of that will be fulfilled with Jesus. He mentions Emmanuel other times in these in, in, in this chapter and in chapter eight. And he's talking about a covenant partnership. And he applies it into where it where Judah was at that point. And I see such dynamic parallels to where we are today. Everywhere that Isaiah speaks about Emmanuel. Is, is an invitation for people to partner with God in the midst of trying circumstances we'll talk about that in just a moment and we'll try to equate some 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 things therein now one of the things we've not really focused on and it's very clear here that when Isaiah comes and uh, and the Lord speaks to him and says I want you to meet King Ahaz and he tells him where he wants him to meet him and we have preached on this before and it's also the same place that in years to come, when Hezekiah is king, Rabshekah comes. But that's getting ahead of the story. One of the things we've not focused on is that God specifically told Isaiah to take his little boy with him. He, he, God tells him, take your son, Shir Jeshub, and you go and you meet the king. I would have to study this out, but I can't remember another time in the Scripture where God told one of these highfalutin prophets to take their little kid with him. You take, you know, you take Levi and you go out there and you speak to the king. What does Shere Jeshub mean? It means, and this is really fascinating. It means a remnant, a remnant will return, or the cycle of the remnant. I like that latter um, definition better, because it it speaks about an ongoing thing. It speaks about an ongoing measure of what it means to be a remnant in God. And so God says, you take your little boy. And we don't have dates. We don't have family pictures. You know, you didn't have Olin Mills taking us. Now, there's Isaiah. Look at that little boy he's got. We don't know how old this child was, That, but most historians believe that this boy was just just very young, most likely still um, not eating uh, solid foods. So here goes Isaiah. You know, we... In the previous chapter, in the year that King Uzziah saw, died, I saw the Lord and touched me with the, with the coal from the altar. You know, all that wonderful thing. So here he comes out with Ahaz, and he's got this little boy that he's carrying. And the little boy means, his name means, that a remnant, there will be a cycle of the remnant. The remnant is very important in the Lord. The remnant, as we've studied over and over again, is so important to what God does all the time. It is the razor of precision, of sonship. God God takes a people and the core of the remnant is vital at the very beginning of, of a move of the Spirit as it is at the end. In fact, it's probably more prominent in its influence at the beginning because God is impacting what that remnant is going to uh is going to embrace and in those honeymoon times when the visitation is there god is moving and and we only really talk about the remnant after you know layer upon layer is falls away and then you got this seed left you know well that's the remnant but the remnant really represents those who partner with god and those who embrace the message and so here you have see this picture Here you have Isaiah coming out to meet Ahaz, and he's got in his arms this little boy whose name is the Cycle of the Remnant. God reminding all of Judah, this is how I move. This is what I want for the future generation. This is the seed of ongoing victory and triumph. And and I think that's something that is just dynamic. And, and so I'll skip ahead here. I think as I read this, and this is one of the things that commentators and linguists battle over because they see in Isaiah 7, 14, uh, you know, you're not going to sha'al. We've studied about the sha'al and how Ahaz was rejecting that. We're not going there this morning. Remember that teaching. That's remnant. That is remnant language. Um, But Behold, a virgin will conceive and and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Then he goes into verse 15, and this is where they really start playing mind games, try to say, oh, that's really not a prophecy about Mary. Oh, this is going to be fulfilled. Um, And butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings stick with me here. He's talking about the current climate. He's talking about the king of Syria and the king of Israel, the northern northern kingdom, who were both coming against Ahaz at that point. And that's a factor we're going to look at here. Uh, What I think is Isaiah speaks the concept of the Emmanuel, which then Matthew quotes. And then Isaiah looks at his own child and he says butter and honey shall he eat why do why do I think that because this is a this is baby food if you didn't have mama's milk they didn't have uh, gerbers or the go-go pouches with the with the mixed up fruit that you can squirt in the bay I'm getting very familiar with what you feed toddlers they didn't have that so they would they would often mix this, this more congealed milk. The butter is more of a of a soft curd-like thing with the honey. And I know, well, you shouldn't give babies honey. I've heard all that. But they did back then. I don't know how they survived. How did mankind survive? But that's what they gave the child. And when he says that he knows to refuse the good and evil, I know what that's like too. Because when you get a kid like my grandson he'll stick anything in his mouth he doesn't know what's good and he doesn't know what's bad he'll just stick it all in there and you'll see him chewing on something you think wait a second i didn't give him that so you start fishing around the mouth and and he's having a fit because what he got in there is his his prize and he doesn't want to give it up and you find pebbles you find all kinds of things Before he comes over to our house early in the morning after I've prayed and when dawn's early light comes, I'm vacuuming the main room that he's going to be in because I know that if I don't vacuum that, he's going to find every particulate that's on the floor and it's going to go right in his mouth. So he doesn't know good from bad. And this is terminology for what parents faced and parents have faced for millennia. Got to watch what that kid puts in his mouth. He doesn't know what's edible and what's not edible. And then as they grow older, he doesn't really recognize what's edible, but it's probably not good for them. But that's another story. And then he continues to say when that child comes to the point where he is able to process and know what he should eat and what he shouldn't eat, this alliance of Syria and uh, the northern kingdom is going to be dissolved that's what he says and that's what happened that's what he says and that's what happened so let's let's talk about what was going on here you remember from our studies that isaiah really ministered at a crucial moment where he begins with uzziah who was triumphant just brilliant what a what an innovative, imaginative, blessed king. The people of God, Judah, was the envy of the world. The Bible says that. It's so inventive. Such cutting-edge weaponry. Uh, just amazing, amazing things. And then he, was, he lost his focus. He, he really lost his desire to fulfill what God said. And God judged him and put upon him this really horrific disease, leprosy, and his blessing began to be eaten away. Then, as so often is the case, whether it's Uzziah and and uh, Jotham or whether it's any blessed nation, the next generation often just kind of exists off the blessing of the former and really doesn't follow what what brought the blessing and then the third generation it really is a study of iniquity which comes in with Ahaz they're just godless and they they're making deals and taking names and they they don't want to have a relationship with God in fact they even doubt God in fact his terminology which we've talked about over and over again throughout the years is really a disdaining of the invitation for him to know God in a Sha'al relationship and then after that, there's great, there's great judgment that comes. Ahaz, here, here's, here's what was happening geopolitically. Stick with me here. This is important for us to know because we're living it right now, and we'll, we'll touch it all back in here. Ahaz is basically not living for God. And his neighbor to the north, the northern kingdom, is, is feeling threatened by Assyria. And so they begin to make agreement with another vassal kingdom called Syria. And they say, we better stand together here because Assyria is going to come and consume us. And so it wasn't enough for them to fall away from God and to try to do things in their own might. They start making invitations to Judah And Judah, not for a godly reason, starts rebuffing them. It's probably more from pride. You know, we don't want to partner with you guys. We we don't like you to. So we don't want to have anything to do with you. But there was a threat from the north. And that's what Isaiah says right off the bat. He said, one of the favorite verses for me, I've got my Bible opened in my window, is chapter 7, verse 7, where he says, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. We saw that miracle here in this house. But Isaiah already says this. And he says, those two are going to wither away. They're like a piece of wood that has has burned pretty much down. And you can just snap it. Don't worry about them. But Ahaz was already trying to cut deals with Assyria. And Ahaz thought that it was smart for him to align himself with somebody that was bent on destroying Judah. And Isaiah warns him, don't do it. You're at a a crucial point. God can work miracles through you or you can be destroyed. Don't worry about the neighbor to the north. Don't worry about Syria. You come before God. That's what this whole meeting was about. And Ahaz just basically thumbs his nose, which irritates isaiah and i'm sure it it really uh what's a good word because some people don't like to think that god ever gets ticked off um i don't know what a good euphemism is god didn't like it very much either and then you have this statement about a virgin will conceive and he speaks about emmanuel and and then you uh you see that isaiah just starts prophesying he says, in the next few years before my son is able to eat and make his own decisions about what he ingests, those two are going to be obliterated. But then this agreement that you've made with Assyria, they're going to come and they're going to devastate your land. And you are going to be, you are going to be uh, absolutely overwhelmed and you're going to rue the day that you accepted this Assyrian alliance. And, um, and that brings us to when Hezekiah was king and the, the various measures of token that, that, that Judah had kept giving to Assyria. Hezekiah decides he's not doing it anymore and then comes the army of Assyria and you remember the story, Rabshakeh standing out there saying, you know, we've destroyed other kingdoms, and Hezekiah goes before the Lord, and the men with the key of David go before the Lord, and God brings a victory, and Isaiah prophesies it. That's what's coming. But the years leading up to that are fateful years because Ahaz rejected the invitation to partner with Emmanuel. And and I love one of these verses, 7-9, uh, right, right there in the middle of it. it. It almost seems redundant. But it says, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. This is a double issuance of Amon. This is, if you're not going to partner with the right hand of God, well, you're not going to be established by the right hand of God. This is, this, this is just pneumonicos 101. And Isaiah is appealing to this boy who has rejected the heritage that God gave and said. Here is the victory of Emmanuel. Eventually, a virgin is going to conceive. But right now, you can partner with the heart of God. You as the king, Sha'al, you as the king can hear what God is saying from the right hand. You can believe God. But Ahaz didn't want everything to do with that. Now, how does this apply to us today? Well, without getting too simplistic, let's talk about our country for the moment. This is the greatest nation that has ever been on the earth. Yeah, you can talk about Rome. You can talk about the the Imperial France. You can talk about the Chinese. You can talk about, but nobody has been blessed like America has been blessed. One nation under God, um, we, we have seen things and been able to do things that no other nation on earth has ever been able to do, which is why there are millions of people right now trying to make a way to get through our southern border as quick as they can to get here. Some of them have nefarious motives. Most of them just want to come to the greatest nation on earth. While you have numbskulls here in our country damning America and saying how horrible it is and threatening to move to other countries. I haven't seen any of them really move to any other countries. Have you? It's just a lot of balderdash. I don't don't see that. But we were we we were blessed we are we are a miracle from God, but then we started to lose that, little by little, it was eaten away. We began to manage the blessings of the Lord rather than to continue to make him the one we trust in. There's been a remnant in our country, but on the most part, most of the nation is began to drift away from God. And then you have a generation or generations that rise up and don't even know God, don't want to know God, that ridicule God, and which is an Ahaz-like uh, type of encounter. You talk about the things of the Spirit, you talk about the Word, they thumb their nose at you. They curse you. They burn Bibles. They, they attack people. They attack churches. You see that happening. And and there's uh, there there's going to be there's already been a price to pay but it's it's going to be a bigger price but God's going to be in it you know it's very interesting that those two northern kingdoms when Assyria came and basically were taking was taking over there's an interesting story that's detailed there in Isaiah maybe you should read it sometime if you haven't recently some of you read through the Bible every year have read this Assyria decided that, okay, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria, whatever place we take over, we're going to bring people who are captives from Babylon and from several other countries, and we're going to repopulate those cities that used to be gods. And we're going to bring all these foreign people in, and we're we're just going to change the fabric of that nation. Have you heard anything like that here in our country? Do you realize that there are parts of this country that are more like a foreign land than the good old U.S. of A? Big sections of of Minnesota are absolutely devoted to Sharia law. And you know, it's amazing that that's happening. So what happened with these people, you can read about it, it's really good reading, is that? these people are populating God's land, and God sees it. They're worshiping other gods. They're bringing in not just the gods that that Solomon brought in. They're bringing in other demonic forces. And God said, I've had enough of that. And God sent prides of lions, just an army of lions, to attack these people. And they're they're just being eaten up. (laughs) And so they... They send emissaries back to Assyria and said, wait a second, we know lions, but I ain't lying. This is something that's awful. These lions are on a mission. They're just killing us. So the Assyrians say, well, it's because, oh, no, the people there in the land, they recognize, they say, we don't understand this God in this land, and that's why he's destroying us. So the Assyrians say, get some priests that know the the God of Israel and have those priests start teaching what the God of Israel wants. And when they did that, the lions stopped attacking them. Isn't that amazing? With us, maybe that's something that we need to believe for, not that prides of lions will attack uh, all these immigrants that are coming in but that somehow the heat would be turned up by the Spirit and the God of this land, God Almighty, it's God's land. What Maybe there will be a revival. Maybe there will be a move of the Spirit that will come. But it's it's very similar. This progression uh, wasn't just for the north and for the south of Israel, but it's for any nation that turns from God. And, and, and I, I see our country very much in those throws right now now what happens i don't know who would represent assyria but what comes after that of course is babylon you ever read about mystery babylon you ever read about that in in the book of revelation well really what it is is this progression how did babylon get to take over that's a great mystery that's the mystery of, of the demonic strategy. That's the mystery. A lot of people are looking, oh, you know, what, what is this Babylon? What is it? Well, it's right here. you got to go back to the Old Testament. Babylon just didn't become Babylon. It was a progression that we've just detailed of how a people who are called to be a remnant, who are called to be a Sha'al influence, who are called to partner with Elohim, turn their back on God, and generation after generation becomes pray to other nations and then finally is is absolutely absorbed by the babylonian mystery that's what is ahead for us of in this nation and he's oh don't preach those things it's in the bible what do you think's going to happen see we used to preach about this or i didn't you know hold the fort for i'm coming we're all going to be whooshed away before any of this nonsense happens and I'm not getting into pre-trib, post-trib. Listen, you're already in tribulation. I'm not saying it's the great one, but look around, folks. I mean, even the Pentecostal evangel has to has to say eh, there's trouble right here in River River City, and it it is bad news. I mean, I'm I'm just astounded. I'm astounded when. When, and I have to plead the blood and be cleansed after I look at anything that's going on in Washington. It's just horrific. It is an insult to God. And it's an insult to the Word. We're living in it right now. It's not automatically going to come, the trumpet blast, we, up we go, and whoosh, oh, man, the enemy's here. It is this progression right here. This nation can accept... Emmanuel let's look at these other instances of where Isaiah speaks this and he's you know that this issue that I just spoke about the lions it's right in this Emmanuel passage so uh, Isaiah 8 uh, you see a lot of wonderful things that he's saying and he's talking about Assyria that's coming and and he says that God's going to give the king of Syria, As- Assyria, the, the right to come. He's going to take out the north and then he's going to come after Judah because you're making a covenant with them, you numbskull. You did it. You did it. And, and, and right there at the end of verse 8, God says, O Emmanuel. And it, it, that O there is kind of an appeal it's kind of a lamentation that in the midst of all of this heinous activity of assyria which ahaz covenanted with at that time when isaiah first spoke about emmanuel ahaz had the chance to stand for the lord and to disengage from his alliances that he was making with assyria and so here's an expression when God gives Assyria the right to come, with all of their glory, this expression, "Oh, Emmanuel, like a lament, like, a, like when, when somebody has done something and they were warned, and then it comes upon them, and they think for that brief moment, I made a mistake. That's what he says right there. And he, he says, gather together, people. You're going to be broken in pieces. Listen, all you far country, gird yourself. You're going to be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves and you'll be broken. Take counsel together and it will come to naught. Speak the word and it will not stand. And then in verse 10, that uh, when it, it shall not stand. There's a break there. And to me, verse 10, the, the last part of verse 10 going into verse 11, is what Isaiah says. Look at this. For God is with us. There it is. That's Emmanuel. That, it's, it's Emmanuel. Look it up. It is Emmanuel. That's exactly what it says. He just translates it out there, but then it continues. For Yahweh spoke this to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. There are the Emmanuels. There is the principle of Elohim appealing to us and us appealing and receiving Elohim. That's so important. That is so important. This is the principle of Emmanuel. Now, you notice that in Matthew 1, the angel is speaking to Joseph and he's talking about what Jesus will be. And then Matthew says, this was spoken to fulfill the prophecy. Emmanuel, a virgin conceiving. And he just forbade him, quotes Isaiah. Jesus came so that not just a nation could have this privilege. Not just a king could Sha'al and have this privilege. Not just that the covenant person or the covenant nation, Abraham's seed in the Old Testament, could have this relationship. But all of us, through Jesus Christ, could say Elohim is not only with us, but with me. I just think it's so interesting that Isaiah comes out there with a little boy in his arms whose name directed by God means the cycle of the remnant. And he makes an appeal to Ahaz. Ask God. First of all, he says, don't worry about the northern kingdom. Don't worry about Syria. They're going to be broken in two. They're just going to wither away. It will not stand, neither will it come to pass. But now I say to you, Sha'al before the Lord for a sign. Ask it in the highest place, or, in, or well, first he starts with the depths. Start for the depths or in the highest place. Ask for something that would profoundly touch the earth or something that would be celestial. And Ahaz says the faithful words, I am not going to sha'al before God. I'm not going to put myself in a position where I can receive what my forefathers received. Well, your forefathers received what what they were asking for. This boy was so jaded that he wasn't willing to partner with God. And then Isaiah says, you won't ask, but I'm going to give you the sign of all signs. A virgin will conceive. Who heard of such a thing? The virgin will conceive and you'll call his name Emmanuel with us Elohim with us Elohim that's literally the way it's written we say god with us but you look at it l is at the end of this it is with us Elohim and the question is do you want Elohim with us do you want Elohim with you that's the meaning of Emmanuel and then Isaiah begins to say, look, before this little boy knows how to eat properly on his own, those two nations are going to be destroyed. But let me tell you what is happening with you. This covenant you're making with Assyria is going to be your downfall. And it's, it's God's going to flick the switch at his timing and they're going to come in and you're going to be destitute. Oh, Emmanuel. And then he goes through what's going to happen and how the people got into this place to begin with. And then he says, here's what God said to me, Emmanuel, with a strong hand. He said, don't partner with these people. Don't, don't get yourself in alignment with them. That's the word of the prophet. That's the word from God to the prophet regarding Emmanuel. That's the concept of Emmanuel for us. So here we are in this place. Babylon is coming. Either believe that or rip out those pages in Revelation. Just rip them out right now. It's coming. It's a mystery. But it's not so much a mystery. It's not so much a mystery. Because we see this progression. We're seeing it played out in our very eyes. You know, I've told you this. Um before. But, you know, when I'm working on the treadmill, I watch a lot of stuff. I watch documentaries. I watched one about uh, Hitler's investment in our in the election process in the 40s because they wanted to stop uh, Roosevelt from being elected. And Goering sent five million dollars to an Oklahoma oil man. It's very interesting. It's on the Smithsonian. I watched that yesterday. You see how spiritual I am. But sometimes I'll watch some of the old Western programs that were in the 50s, early 60s, like uh, Wagon Train. I was talking about this last week before Sunday school started. And I was amazed, like on Wagon Train, how many times they'll have a church service in the midst of the program. They'll be singing hymns. They'll be preaching the word. They'll be praying for people. And that was just in the early, the mid 50s when this nation was kind of still a godly nation. You know, one of the most intriguing books I've read in the past couple of decades was a book that uh, actually I bought in Paris at the Shakespeare bookstore. And it was called, uh, Is God Still an Englishman? And it talked about how England, which was a nation that uh, sent missionaries around the world, that sent the Word of God around the world, that um, really gave us the King James. Somehow they, they knew that Paul, the apostle, carried it, and they said, we've got to print that and send it out. And, um, you know, that after a couple of world wars, people started to doubt whether God was with them or if there really was a God. You know, I, I wonder what what really went through the mind of the people when, when Uzziah sinned. And it wasn't just that he offered incense. That, was, that wasn't a one-off. He, he started to believe his own press reports. And he started to think, well, this is what God said, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm just going to run fast and loose with his restrictions. And... Then the judgment of God came. And the people then perceived that and the enemy used it to make them start doubting God. And the author of this book that I mentioned started to talk about after World War One, many of the churches that uh, that said that God would protect the people would do in funeral after funeral. They had their the parishioners would come back from France with blinded both on the mustard gas and people saw that and they wondered where was God in that and then the depression uh, hit and um, people were hungry and they were wondering where's God and then World War II came and Germany started blitzing that nation and bombing significant portions of the city churches were destroyed people people were killed many people who believed God were killed in those raids and then the ravages of war And the enemy then used that to say, where's God? You believed. And the point is that God was still with them. But were they with God? Were they just coming and doing religious ceremonies, pomp and circumstance? God was there, but were they with him? The principle of Elohim that blessed that nation was abandoned. And you see that same progression during the ministry of Isaiah, from Uzziah to Jotham to Ahaz, and then there our dear friend Hezekiah. Um, Hezekiah started to come back to God. I I think that, you know, I think that there's a lesson for us there that when things really get bad, and I don't know how what that means, but we're we're as a nation going to see some things that we're going to continue to think how is this happening there will be a desire to turn back to God in many they, maybe this is the end time revival on steroids um, but Hezekiah tried to do what was right before God Rabshakeh shows up and threatened them you know we're going to cancel you if you don't start doing what we want and God God had something to say about that because those people were believing God And then, you know, Hezekiah was tearing down the high places, and a sickness came, and he turned his face to the wall, and God said, I'll give you another 15 years. Now, people sometimes say, well, you shouldn't talk about Hezekiah. What happened with his sons? How nasty they were? Well, we know that when that end time revival comes, that's not the end of the picture. There are some desperate days coming, and to me, it fulfills this same progression. But the mystery Babylon is right here. But the most important thing for us is to not get out our charts. And when you start talking about the end times, people just get drunk on it. I mean, they just get silly with it. They start trying to predict things. They put on their prophecy hats and they start, you know, oh, this could be them. This could be them. And it's, it's almost like a drug. When the most important thing in this whole discussion is Emmanuel is God, is Elohim with you? I mean, is the heart of God with you? I'm so glad it wasn't Emmanuel, because that would have still been God, but it would have been doing things. It would have been putting the plan together. Bless God, this is the American way, because it's God's way. No, it's Emmanuel. For the plan of God to come from heaven, you still have to have Bethel. If you don't have that, there's no Yahweh looking down from heaven unless he's just shaking his head in wonderment. Winking every now and then. Emmanuel, can we as a remnant guard over that and not let our passion for the heart of God dissipate. And I, I want you to know, <laughs> if you don't think the enemy's trying to do that, you better think again. And and I'm not giving credit to the enemy, so I, I plead the blood of Jesus over these words, but from a strategist view, he's doing a pretty good job of it. You know, I, I've seen, not in this church, but I've seen people who used to blaze for the Lord who are now following demons, I've seen it. You've seen it, if you you just look at it. I mean, the enemy does not want any remnant to seek the heart of God. And those of us who know that blessing have to cherish it and take hold of the strong hand of God, like Isaiah did, the, the Lord spoke to me with a strong hand only because look at that eight ten, 10 for, for Emmanuel it's, it says the same thing as where it's translated as Emmanuel a couple of times earlier God is with us and because of that Yahweh spoke to me with a strong hand that dimension of God don't don't walk in the way of this people do you see the mystery babylon appealing to this nation walking walk this way walk in this way let us teach three-year-olds four-year-olds five-year-olds to be sexual deviants and and i'm not talking about the homosexual lesbian lgbtq plus whatever other thing there is I'm talking about sending people into a classroom of kindergartners and teaching them how to be a pervert. That's happening all over the country right now. You want to see people being taught in the way of Babylon? It's happening in our country. It's it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. And that's just one point. How many times do you have to hear about this miscarriage? Creant behavior and that miscreant behavior and it's all across the board every spectrum of the demonic is is being welcomed and openly brought forth that's mystery babylon and and i i say that god is speaking very loudly to us as his saints is elohim with you are you With Elohim? Are you doing everything you can to yield yourself to the precious heart of our God? I'm hearing that in my own self. You know, not from a sinful standpoint, but I think anytime you miss what God says to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it sins. So I confess I'm a sinner. I can become so absorbed in ministry and in teaching these concepts that God has given us and trying to meet with groups and leaders and 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 try to arrange things that the Spirit is saying about what needs to be happening. I can become so involved in the work of the Lord that I can recognize that at the end of the day, I really haven't communed with Elohim. Yeah, and every morning I try to get up and what I'm studying and, and I, I, I specifically, I don't know why I'm telling you this. Maybe you need to hear it. I specifically go before the Father and tell Him how much I love Him. And I tell Him that more than once. And I speak that. And, I, and, I, and then I have to process, am I just saying this like a Hallmark card? Am I just saying it with my mind? Because I know I'm supposed to, even though I mean it. Or am I letting the depth of my spirit emote that? Is Elohim in every part of me? Am I communing with him? And I have to confess that there are days where I know I've not done that. Even though I'm busy in the work of the Lord, and I'm not going out, I'm not going out uh, doing nasty stuff. I'm doing the work of the Lord. We must embrace Elohim and make sure that we're with him and that he's with us. That is the concept of the cycle of the remnant. That is how God causes Israel to triumph. And the lack of that is how Israel falls into mystery Babylon. The progression. See, You see the division there for Ahaz. I can't imagine what that must have been like with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. It was like civil war. We have that in our country right now. You say, well, you know, you don't have Syria and and Israel attacking us. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Just drive up this street. See who believes in these churches. Just read what's on their signs. Read what they do. I'm not judging, not criticizing. But there are lines of demarcation. There are lines of demarcation, even amongst the people of God. Uh, And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Almost 500 Methodist churches in Texas voted to secede from the greater body because they wanted to stay with the Word of God. And they felt that if we stay with this, we won't be able to stay with the Word of God. There is a line of demarcation, and it's happening. And anybody that doesn't walk in the way of the world, any anybody that doesn't progressively accept this, and go here, and do this, and do that, and say this is okay, even though it's not, and, and become that, and let your children know, you know, we don't walk in fear. We don't want to speak about the Word of God because boy, they'll look at us differently. That's northern and southern kingdom right there. It just is. And I'm not here to to tell everybody what they're doing wrong or what they're not doing right. That's not my mission. I I judge not lest you be judged. The most important thing for all of us is, is Emmanuel with you. Are you with him? That's the key to all of this. And with that, Again, it's, this is just so picturesque. It's so wonderful. You better get before the throne of God and be at the right hand, or you're not going to function in the power of that. Believe, and you will. Don't believe, and you won't be established there. That's said right there. Will you shall before the Lord? Will you know God in the intimate place, in the, the authority God has given you? Will he know you there? Will you know him? And will you walk in that authority? No, no, no. I don't want to do that. see how much this is just everywhere here. Emmanuel, Elohim, that message. And then because that's not embraced, woe is you. And then at the end, the last reference of it was, I have decided to stay in that place with Elohim. And Yahweh is telling me with a strong hand, you be among them, but not of them. Come out from among that and be separate. There, Look, there's no way. We can't just move to a mountaintop and just live in absolute purity. It's, it's around us. It, it, it just is. You're not going to be able to escape it. It's around you. It's on the television. Some of you with holiday gatherings, it breaks your heart but you see it there you love anyway and that's acceptable before the lord but the issue for us is what's going on in little old you are you embracing elohim i'm again for another reason i'm glad it doesn't say emmanuel because then every time we commune we would be hearing things that we need to let people have it and you know The point, though, is is that it's a message for us to embrace his heart. That's the key to Emmanuel. And that's what this whole seventh and eighth chapter of Isaiah is. Now, again, I'll say this. Those of you who are students of Isaiah, you know that in chapter six is a real stem winder. I see the Lord and his train fills the temple. I can hear Lyndall Cooley singing it right now, and all of us having the goosebumps of former days. And then, okay, what's in chapter 9? Well, there's another big stem winder there. And and it's played at, at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty Elohim, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Oh, that's wonderful too but sandwiched the meat in between chapter 6 and chapter 9 is this story of Emmanuel. Yeah, we've talked about the particulates of this. We've talked about Sha'al. We talked about Ahaz rejecting that. We talked about the, the, the declination of the, that, that was from the blessing of God and Uzziah all the way down through that kingly line. We've talked about the ministry of Isaiah. We've talked about all of these things. But today, the Spirit of God is focusing on Emmanuel. And that's something that all of us have as the remnant. Can we make a covenant before the Lord to press into his heart again as individuals? Oh, you can't dabble with it. It's kind of of like swooning being in love with somebody on Monday and Tuesday but the rest of the week you just don't have the time you just can't do that you can pretend that way but you just can't do that you're either in love or you're not you're either infatuated or you're not and there's a way that you can in God cherish that all the way through no matter what's going on on the high point when the, the, the glory of God is all around yeah that's it's easy then but you you still might not know Elohim in the midst of that. <laughs> it's just the true we've lived it. We've been there. Well, what about when challenges come? That's when Emmanuel really shows its strength. What about when the enemy seems to have surrounded the camp? That's when Emmanuel is still burning bright. Every one of those facets, you can lose that deep relationship. But I think you know, you can take this theme from Isaiah 7 and 8, and I'm going to be done. Remember, just just smile a bit because we got cookies just down the hall. You don't have to wait for an hour to eat. You can just go down there and eat what you shouldn't. And Dennis, I'll keep Tammy occupied. You can get in there before anybody and chow a few things down without her knowing. Just make sure it doesn't show in your teeth. Um, I'm just playing. But you know, the thing is, though, that You read about Joseph and Matthew rightly says this dream that he had what the angel said to him is really fulfilling the the virgin part that the real uh, onus of the prophecy is 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 now done 700 years later you imagine that some people can't wait seven years you have a hard time having some people wait 25 years. Where are all the promises that were given to the saints? Well, they're all around us. Is Emmanuel still with you? <laughs> you know? 700 years! And then, we, In God's timing, in the year Caesar Augustus said the world would be taxed. That's very interesting. You look at Julius Caesar... You got the Mark Antony thing. We all know those stories. We've seen the movies. You see then Octavian, who takes on the name Augustus, which means the one that begins, the first citizen of the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, the true empire. That's right there. And God chooses to send his son at that point. Amazing. But you see all that. And Matthew, I know, under the direction of what he'd seen, what he'd heard from the Lord, said, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. But in, in closing here, the fulfillment of the prophecy is glorious for all of us. But the essence of Emmanuel is remnant, is remnant. That's how it was given with the prophet holding his little boy whose name meant the cycle of the remnant. And he's talking Amon, the right hand. He's talking Sha'al. He's talking, do you know Elohim? Will you partner with Elohim? Will you embrace him? In the midst of all this other stuff going on, that's what we must do. You want a solution for America today? I don't know that there is one. But there is the promise of Emmanuel. That's our promise, and we as saints know that, and we have to hold on to that, because mystery of Babylon is being played out meticulously right in front of our little old peepers, and we are seeing it, whether nobody else sees it or not. That's the great mystery. You ever wonder about that in Revelation? This is still my conclusion. Do you ever wonder about that in Revelation? What's so mysterious about this? Is it going, ooh, is that what it is? Is it just going to drop down out of the sky like Plan 9 from outer space? Ooh, what what is that? Oh, I think that's Babylon. Oh, it's so mysterious. What have we learned about mysteries, saints? Mysteries, point by point, reveal themselves. And if you're a saint, God's going to let you see things. And you're going to understand progressions. So Mystery Babylon, you can see that coming. It's like my dad used to say about somebody that got snookered. They seen you coming. And Mystery Babylon is this progression right here. You got division. You got civil war within the nation. You got a split. You see infiltration. You see... uh, uh, partnership with some other group and some other viewpoint, becoming like the world. And as that goes on, Elohim, Elohim is crying out, "Are you with me? Am I with you?" And then the final point, with God speaking with a strong hand, "You don't. You don't. You do not release this covenant with me, and you do not partner with this other-world mindset." Emmanuel cries out that's the heart of the remnant that's what's going to protect us our money is not going to protect us our military is not going to protect us your internet is not going to protect you our houses are not going to protect us Elohim will protect us we walk with him as a remnant so you have the two things and this is this is the end you have the two things with Emmanuel the first is that the prophecy of our Lord Jesus, which makes this available to every one of us, but the concept of Emmanuel is played out in chapters 7 and 8. And we see that template being played out in front of us right now. The question is, the Lord came so that you can know this. How are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? We have to answer that individually. And that's really what God's been trying to do ever since he touched all of us, isn't it? It wasn't about, you know, a remnant. See, the whole idea of the remnant is that it's just going to keep becoming more purified in in size. (laughs) So it wasn't about keeping us all together. I'm grateful that we're all together here. It's about... What keeps us together and what's going on in you? And we said that in certain ways, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It's about what God's doing in you. And that's Emmanuel. So Merry Christmas. And I think I think it's very interesting this morning. I have to tell you, I thought, Lord, I love this I love this study. This is just, this is another breath coming out of this passage. I'm so grateful to see it. It's just so weird to me that as many times as we preach from this passage, and those of you who've been here know I've never talked about Isaiah's little boy being in his arms. It's just weird to me. I, it just never was highlighted. But today, the, oh, boom, there it was. So I came here, and I thought, Father, I'm sure I'm sure up for anything you want to do on the spur because I know this is really not a Christmas message so and I and I walked in and I thought okay I better scribble some of these things down on this sheet just so that I don't walk away forgetting one of them I, I'm not no forgetting to mention it and then be eating a cookie and think I didn't say that so I come back there and I'm, I'm writing things down and on the on the, the high and holy music player, song about Emmanuel comes on. And I thought, okay, this is right. So, and I knew it anyway. I, I was just hoping for something more fancy. God's got a great year ahead for all of us. We have to know his heart. And that's a message for all of us. Jesus, I thank you that you fulfilled this prophecy. I thank you that in God, the Father's timing, you came to make the privilege of partnering in this covenant of Emmanuel available to all of us, including me. That's the greatest gift. Thank you for that. Help us, Father, to walk with you at your right hand as your remnant in the cycle of your ways at the right hand of the throne dealing in the intimate places of our life in a Sha'al relationship and help us to never be bereft of Elohim and who you are in your heart Let us be with you, and dear God, be with us. I bless these saints. I bless this house. I bless the houses of the saints, and we look forward to the days ahead in you. May we love you, and may we know your love. We thank you for this, Father. And we declare it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless all of you. And I I would ask Tammy to come to the organ and we could sing, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. But um, we have cookies to eat. God bless you all. Let's uh, thank you for tuning in, everybody. And for those of you here, Make your way down to the youth room, and let's fellowship. Let's commence to fellowship, and Uncle Jed, bye-bye.